0: I mean, no drinking, no dancing, no playing cards, no TV, all the rest. So we're down there with my younger children at that point and my wife's parents. And uh, we're like, well, where should we go to dinner? And I said, well, I think the place to go is Bourbon Street. And uh, mama, that was a uh, a horrendous mistake. Uh, My sons saw things in windows on Bourbon Street that they should not have seen for a very long time. And my in-laws are just now starting to talk to me again. However, uh, if you go to the end of Bourbon Street, there is a place there called Pat O'Brien's. Raise your hand if you've been to Pat O'Brien's. Oh, see, this is a much more fun crowd than the first service. There's only one person in the first service that had been to Pat O'Brien's. Now, Pat O'Brien's is a dueling piano bar, and uh, they have one at the end of Bourbon Street. They have one in Universal Studios in uh, Florida, and they probably have some others. I'll tell you, my wife and I had the most fun sitting around at Pat O'Brien's couple things about Pat O'Brien's. The first is, you got to watch those hurricanes. Uh, Careful on the hurricanes if you go to Pat O'Brien's. If you don't know what I mean, you'll know one day if you go to Pat (laughs) O'Brien's. Second, if you sit around Pat O'Brien's long enough, there is one song that keeps coming up over and over again. Um, And it's what we're going to uh, sing together in a moment. Um, We are in the second week of a summer series trying to do something fun and, and that, you know, people can be in and out on, and if you missed last week, you, you'll get this week. And uh, so we're looking at kind of the songbook of many of our lives um, and, uh, and trying to figure out what is it about these songs? Uh, how does God speak to us truth, and, and how are their lies told to us uh, through some of the, the music that we can't get out of our head? So we are going to uh, do today uh, the 1974 hit song by Billy Joel called Piano Man. We are going to do today the 1974 <laughs> song that was a hit. Gentlemen. Right. Now, do they look nervous? <laughs> a couple of you that know go yes. So here's the deal you've got to transport yourself to the south end of Bourbon Street. You need to pretend you had a couple hurricanes, and you need to sing along because we are now entering the sing-along portion of this morning service, right? Right? Right, so get me, get up out of your seats. Room is kind of smoky. We should have had a smoke machine for this song. Room is a little smoky. The ivories are about to get tickled and you and I together are going to sing and sing loud. 1974, Billy Joel, Piano Man. Encourage them as they start.
1: an old man sitting next to me, making love to his tonic and gin. He says, Son, can you blame me a memory? not really sure how it goes, but it's sad. So you the piano man, sing us. a joke or to light up your smoke. There's some place that he'd rather be. He says, Bill, I believe this is killing me. As a smile ran away from his face. Well, I'm sure that I could be a movie star if I could get out of this place. Oh, I Now Paul is a real estate novelist, who never had time for and he's talking with Davy, who's still in the Navy, who probably will be. Say yeah.
0: you that say you can't sing that kind of song in church, (laughs) I would say this is actually pretty interesting. Martin Luther and others in the Protestant um, Revolution, when they were trying to to reach the community uh, for God, they would go into the bars and they would listen to the bar songs of the day, and then it would take theology and overlay it onto the music that they would hear in the bars so that when they came into the church, they would understand you know, the rhythm and the song and they, and they would sing it. So it's kind of cool, we just, uh, we just participated in that. That was fun. Now, this song is really, really fascinating. I've really enjoyed the week studying, studying the behind the scenes stuff. 1972, um, after his first album just tanked, Billy Joel's first album was a disaster. That is his real name, Billy Joel, um, which is kind of interesting. He found himself in 72 like a a bit of a down and outer. The record company had signed like a lifetime deal with this record company and he couldn't get out of it. He was trying to figure out a a way to to break free from the record contract. He had no money, he was locked up contractually. So in order just to make rent, he began to play at something that was a place called the Executive Room in Los Angeles and it was just a piano bar. And he played because he couldn't play under the name Billy Joel because he's trying to get out of this contract. He played under the name um, Bill Martin uh, because Martin is actually Billy Joel's middle name. And so you could go to the executive room in the early 70s and there was Bill Martin um, playing at a piano bar. Now the song, this is actually fascinating. That song is just a true story. It's a first-person account of a typical Saturday night at the executive lounge. Those characters there really was a guy named John at the bar that was a friend of his that would give him his drinks for free. There really was a, a Davy, and I saw Billy Joel in an interview, he said he's probably still in the Navy. Um, uh, it's funny, I, I actually came across this morning uh, an article written by his daughter, Davy in the Navy's daughter, who said that it, her father actually died of ALS in 2003. And she said, when I hear this song, um, it's bittersweet. You know, it reminds me of my dad, but uh, so I love it. But it, it, all, it also hurts my heart a little bit. In fact, the waitress who was practicing politics—that was Elizabeth Weber, who turned into Billy Joel's first wife. So this is just him sitting around on a Saturday night, noticing what's going on around him. Now, what's fascinating about this for me is last week we did "Don't Stop Believing," right? That was a ton of fun, and I told you what's interesting about these iconic songs. Uh, first of all, is why they stick in our souls. But second of all, they seem to have something in common, which is that a lot of them don't do well um, when, they're, when they're released. Uh, I think last week we talked about Don't Stop Believing." I think the highest it ever got was number 8 on the Billboard charts. Any idea how high this got in 1974 when it was released? 25. The highest this song ever got. It's kind of hard to believe, right? What is it about a song that was released 42 years ago, that only got to number 25, 42 years ago, that resonates with us? Why do you all know the words? So Darren, let's walk through some of it. It's, it's a fascinating study. It's, it's 9 o'clock on a Saturday, and the regular crowd shuffles in. These folks are here a lot. This is their place. This is, this is, uh, this is Cheers. Um, this is where they go. Starbucks wants to be our third place. You, know, you have home, you have your office. And this was their, thir- their third place. There's an old man sitting next to me. He's making love to his tonic and gin. And, and Billy Joel said, he you know, was an old guy, and he would sit there. And he said the way he would hold on to that drink, it was like the drink had some power for him. And he, he held on to it. And he says, son, can you play me a memory? Of what? The past? Of old hopes? Broken dreams, unmet plans. I mean, what did did he want? What did he want to remember? Did he have something uh, he had lost? Was it a a job, a title, a relationship, family, kids? And he says, I'm not really sure how it goes, but it's sad and it's sweet, and I knew it complete when when I wore a younger man's clothes. And this element of life life has come, life is coming, and life is gone. I had something. I used to have something. I knew it before, but I don't have it anymore. I just have this drink now. And la, 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 diddy-da, la, la, diddy-da. And in, in rock music, usually when you see that, that's kind of the author saying, and so is life, and so is life, and so is life. And so the opening character is just this old, sad man reflecting. He's the first one that speaks in the song. He's already got the tonic and gym and it's numbing some kind of pain, but he wants something else. He he wants to be transported out of the place. I mean, he's there, he's with friends, he's he's got his drink, but there's only one person in the bar that can take him to where he wants to be. Sing us a song, piano man. Sing us a song tonight. We're in the mood for a melody, and and you've got us feeling alright. Because there's something about this drink and and that song which makes me feel a little bit better than I did when I came in. Now, John at the bar is a friend of mine. He gets me my drinks for free. He's quick with a joke or to light up your smoke. Now, listen, here comes the compelling theme. Same theme from last week. Same theme I told you is in all of these great songs. Here it comes. But there's some place that he'd rather be. He says, Bill, I believe this is killing me. What's killing him? Is it it the, the smoke? Is it the liquor? Is it? Is it the job? Is it the shattered dreams? Is it the settling for something so much less? As the smile ran away from his face. See, I'm sure, Bill, I'm sure I could have been a movie star. I could be a movie star. If I could just get out of this place, well, why can't he? Why can't you? Now, Paul is a real estate novelist. Billy Joel said he was a real estate agent, agent, and he would come in every night, and And he was so busy with real estate, and he was working on a novel, and he would tell Billy Joel every night, this is going to be the next great American novel. And so he's a real estate novelist. He never had time for a wife. And he's talking with Davey, still in the Navy, probably will be for life. The waitress is practicing politics. As the businessmen slowly get stoned, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness. But it's better than drinking alone. They're all lonely, but they'd rather be there The home. Misery loves company, as my mom used to say. It's a pretty good crowd for a Saturday. The manager gives me a smile. He knows it's me they're coming to see to forget about life for a while. It's that same ache we talked about last week that so many of these songs speak to that resonates in our heart. There's something about the liquor and the music and the company, It, it numbs the pain of the loneliness and the regret and the past and the missed opportunities and the should have and could have. I am a, a buzz guy, which is probably not good to put together with the liquor statement, but I, I like crowds, I like things. I once took a vacation on the outer banks of North Carolina. I was never so miserable. How do you people like that? Uh, the truth, true story, we're sitting on the beach in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, the only other person on the beach we could see was Jerry Cooney, the old prize fighter, was sitting just to my left. I'm going, this is like a bizarro world scene. See, I like Ocean City, Maryland, which is like Las Vegas, you know, on the beach. That's my scene, you know, I, I, I like that, that kind of thing. I don't like quiet. Have you ever sat at home, though, in the quiet? No TV. You know, we love to turn stuff on, Right? I mean, when I get home, I turn stuff on. I don't, like the, I don't like the quiet. Because the quiet forces me to think and reflect and feel and ponder and, and wonder, right? What's going on with my life? What am I doing with all I've been given? Where, where is this going? And even though I'm married and i got this great family, why sometimes can I feel so alone? And so, they go to the bar. i got to get this quiet. i got to stop thinking about this stuff. I gotta, uh, if I could just get to the bar and get a drink. And the piano, it sounds like a carnival. The microphone smells like a beer. It's all whipped up into a frenzy. They sit at the bar. They put bread in my jar. And now here comes the great line in the song, which I never really appreciated until I did the work on the song. And they say... And this is profound. You gotta picture Bill Bill Martin as he was known in the days. Billy Joel's looking at these lost and lonely and broken souls. And there's an element where he's saying, you know, you could have been so much more. Like you could have been a movie star, and you could have been an author, and you could have been a politician, like you could have done a lot of things with your life. You had all this ability, but you you somehow settled into this. You somehow let this be your story. And you almost see him, like, looking at them as he's writing the song, right, judgmentally, like, what happened to you people? What happened? There's failed potential here. And then, here's the line of the song, and, and the patrons then, they sit at the bar, they put bread in my jar, and they say, man, what are you doing here? And that's the moment where the piano man realizes, wait a minute, I'm just like them. They're just like me. I mean, I could have been a really good piano player. Stuck in this bar, too. There's this moment of realization. We were all meant for so much more. We were all given so much more. We have so much more talent than this. I mean, man, what am I doing here? You ever have a man, what am I doing here moment? Man, what am I doing here? places of settling and, and just sensing that life is just whittling away. And so that question, I mean, it just hovers and lingers over life. It's it, it not unlike the, the, the question would hang in the thick smoke of a 1970s piano bar. What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, I know not everyone in the room is deeply reflective about this stuff. I probably have issues. In fact, we all know I have issues. But you know These songs, this is why this song is 42 years old and it still plays in our head. I, I like to think about these things sometimes. If you were around in 1974, I want to show you how old this song is and why you still remember it. If you were around in 1974 and you were singing this song, if you move back the 42 years from there, you're in 1932. Like, that's how long this song has been around. That's how long we all know. That's how long it's been speaking to us. About this, this ache that I, I, I think I was supposed to be something, I had all the potential to be something more than this, so somehow I settled into play us a song, Mr. Piano Man, so I can forget about life for a while. Now, I don't know, I, do you guys ever feel that? You know, I, I thought of, you know, I was given so much, and on the relative scale of what I could have done with it, I've done so little. Now, this is not a guilt thing. I don't want you to go home and email me and tell me I'm wonderful. I know I'm wonderful. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> but it's more, like the, it's more like I understand that there's this spiritual battle in my soul for my life, right? And when I see it clearly, it seems like there are possibilities for, for greatness, for life, and for adventure and, and battle that God is calling me to and you to with our lives. Plans, the scripture says that God had plans for good works for you in place long before you were born. There were assignments, there were duties, there were impacts in this fallen and broken world that you could have, that I could have. But there's this other voice in my head that says, Don't do anything crazy. Just sit a while, pull a chair up to the bar, have another beer. Son, can you play me a melody? I'm not sure how it goes, but it's sad and it's sweet and I knew it complete when I wore a younger man's clothes. We as people have an incredible propensity to mimic life, to look like we're living, but in the, ends, uh, in the end, are in our hearts. And remember, Jesus is not concerned about your performance. He's not judging you uh, based on how much you're doing for him. He's, Jesus is worried about your heart, Okay. There's nothing more beautiful to Jesus, or more threatening to the enemy of your soul, than a man or woman fully alive and engaged in life, employing and engaging all of their God-given dreams and talents, talents for the purpose of God that He's laid out for them. That is life. But so often we mimic life, but our hearts lay dormant somewhere inside. We have money and titles and friends and family, but for so many of us, it sometimes feels like we're—you ever just feel like I feel like I'm playing house sometimes? I feel like, I, I feel like I've just, I, I, I'm a character in, in, in a story that I walked into. I, I had this kid that lived next door to me, Rob Penna, growing up. Rob had a basement in our neighborhood. If you had a basement, that was like the coolest thing because nobody had a basement. Anybody remember that old show from the 70s, Emergency? Um, showing your age, you people. But uh, emergency, you know, there was these fire trucks and firemen, and Rob and I used to be, like, the fire guys, and we, we had these tr- we'd make these trucks in his basement, and I would always there was two guys. There was John, who was the cool guy, and there was this other guy. I don't remember what his name was, um, but I got to be John. I'd like to think it was because I'm cool, but I think it's just because my name was John, so... And Rob would always be the other guy. And so Rob and I, we were going to be firemen. And we, we, I mean, we were going to live these epic lives, right? We were were going to swoop in and save people from danger. But I don't know, something happened between here and there. And it's like I settled into something I was never really meant, you know. I don't know. See, Jesus understands. He understands our propensity to mimic living. He tells a really weird story that some of you may have never heard before. He gathered one time with with some folks in his community, and he said, to what can I compare this generation? He said, here's what you guys are like. You're like children that play a game in the public square. And the the children, they complain to their friends. We played wedding songs, and you didn't dance. And we played funeral songs, and you didn't mourn. Jesus said, because John the Baptist He didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you said, Well, he's possessed by a demon. And then I came along, on the other hand, and you said that I I go to feasts and have drinks, and you say I'm a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Scholars tell us what Jesus was referring to is is what the the kids did in the public squares at that time. It was Jesus likely played this game when he was like a 10-year-old kid. They would mimic adult emotions. Without the, the kids would mimic the adult emotions without a deeper understanding of what was going on. So the game would take the form of mimic, m- mimicry and would proceed towards trying to confuse and worry the other team of children. So eventually the whole group would dissolve into laughter and confusion. They would see their parents at a wedding and, and so they, they knew what parents should do at a wedding. So what they would do is a couple of kids would play a, a couple of notes of a wedding song and you'd see if the people would start to dance and have fun. And then they knew what parents, their parents would look like at a funeral. So they'd play a couple bars of a funeral song and, and they, they'd hope that they would kind of fake mourning. And the kids in, in Jesus' story were getting upset because they're going, Well, wait a minute, I played for you happy me- You know, I, I played for you the story of John, which says that, you know, you're all sinners and broken and you need to repent and you didn't believe him. And now I come along and say, all everything that John said is true, but I'm here to shower on you grace and love and mercy, and you say that everything I, you know, what is it for you? You don't seem to be engaged in either one of these truths. It's as if they were children, just playing a purposeless game in a town square. And Jesus says, we can be like this. The world plays some music for us, and we mimic life. But there is, there is no real life there. Sing us a song, Mr. Piano Man, sing us a song. Because we'll forget about life for a while. You and I are perhaps, here's the truth of it, we are perhaps some of the most blessed people to ever occupy the face of the earth. We have more education, more talent, more money, more health, and more technology than anybody that's ever lived. And you know what we do with almost all of it? We kiss almost all of it away. Notice I'm using the word kiss there. We kiss it all away. See, Jesus knows this about you and I. Hear this, I'm going to say it several times because I want you to get it out of the talk today. The greatest threat to our lives, our world, his kingdom, is that those to whom he has entrusted so much, people just like you and I, would choose. The threat is not that we would choose to spend it unwisely. The real threat is that you would choose to do nothing with it. This is the serious threat to your heart and your kingdom. So much so that Jesus tells these two pretty pointed stories. I told you last week, I really like baby Jesus and kind Jesus and Christmas Jesus. But when Jesus grows up, sometimes he says hard things. And he tells these stories about our propensity to mimic life and our propensity not to use the gifts we were given and engage them in real world living. In Luke chapter 12, he starts, Jesus goes, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding him. Feeding him. This is not hard work. Jesus is saying, a faithful servant is one who will take care of others, who will love others. Does this sound familiar? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. So if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all that he owns. Many of you have heard of Rick Warren. He wrote um, Purpose Driven Life. Good book, you know. It's the second most best-selling book in the history of the world, next to the Bible. I didn't think it was that good, but anyway, um, one of his primary teaching points is that this whole experience in the life that we are living in in this world is training ground, proving ground for what's going to co- what's coming. What happens with what we've been given now, how we engage it and use it in this life, will determine what our future looks like on into eternity. What we're given and entrusted with for all of eternity. So let's go on. But what if the servant thinks, my master's not going to be back for a while, begins to beat the other servants, goes down to the bar, has a couple drinks, forget about life for a while. The master's going to return unannounced and unexpected, and he's going to cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. That's not nice. The servant, he was given all of the gifts from the master. He, he was asked to, all he was asked to do, all he was asked to do was to just care about somebody else other than himself. I, the, the, the master said, I gave you all of my stuff. Would you just watch after the servants? Now, he didn't go spend it on himself. He didn't go invest it in his, he didn't line his own pockets with it. He just didn't do anything with it. Jesus goes on, a servant who knows what the master wants, well, what did he want? Just take care of the others. You might know the, the verse in Micah, right? Oh man, what has um, uh, God shown you? He's shown you what's good. What does the Lord required of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. A servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out these instructions, will be severely punished. How we take all that we've been given and blessed with in this life matters after this life. But someone who doesn't know and then does something wrong, well, you know, they're not going to be punished as, as, as severely. So here's the key. Here's the key verse, okay? Catch, hear this now. When someone who has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone who has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And so, church, here in the history of the world, very few people whom have ever lived have been given more than you and me. And we have an incredible propensity to kiss it all goodbye. Now, if if you would say that I'm a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, the truth is the scripture says his spirit comes alive in you. So therefore you have power and purpose and potential to do incredibly more than the scripture says that you could even ever imagine. You could change the world. The greatest threat to you changing the world... Your home, your office, our church, this town, your children, the greatest threat to you making impacts there with this new life that Christ has provided you is not that you would take those gifts and waste them on yourselves, certainly we do that, but the greatest threat to your home, your office, place, our church, this town is that you would take everything you've been given and you would do nothing with it. This is such an important story. Jesus wants you to see this so much. He shows it one more time. Matthew chapter 25. Again, he starts again. Why? Because I'm going to tell you this again. It's important you understand. He says the kingdom of heaven, it can be illustrated by the story of a man who goes on a long trip. Same story, right? He calls his servants together, he entrusts them with his money, and he tells them, uh, entrusts his money to them while he's gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he leaves on his trip. Well, the servant who received the first bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Didn't spend it on himself. No wine, women, and song here. Just didn't do anything. After a long time, the master comes back from his trip and he calls them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I earned five more. Remember, this is, this is training ground. This is proving ground for the life to come. Well, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. See, it's not even really about money. This isn't a money story. Let's celebrate. Let's party. Let's party. The servant who received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver, I've earned two more. It wasn't about the return, right? One brought back five, one brought back two. This response is the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. By the way, when I read this this morning, it struck me. Remember when um, Adam sinned in the garden? First couple chapters of the whole Bible, right? Uh, God's looking for Adam, and and Adam's hiding, and God goes, what are you doing? He goes, "Um, I was afraid, so I hid. Same story. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. I didn't spend it on me. I didn't, use it. I didn't use it for anything bad. I don't have a big house or a nice car. I just wanted to give you your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? I mean, at least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, because here comes the life to come, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those, this should sound familiar, same line, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do, from those who what? Do nothing. Even what little they have will be taken away. The greatest threat to you and I and to a world that is in so dire need of actual Christian people. The greatest threat we face is not that we make wrong choices with how we invest the talent and the power and the potential that we have. It's that we choose not to invest them at all. So I just want to close with, 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 with a thought on this. The song and the scriptures tell the story of three things that are going to keep you from engaging your gifts, from following your call, and igniting your heart once again. There are three things that will keep you mimicking life instead of reading it. The first one is the one I told you about last week. I don't want to go into it much now, but, but the, you watch it online. The first thing that keeps us paralyzed in our potential is fear. Fear of failure, fear of loss, fear of others, fear of looking bad, fear of you name it. We're fearful people. This is why the number one saying of Jesus while he walked on earth, do not be afraid. I've got you. You have nothing to be afraid of. What keeps Paul from from ever getting a wife? What keeps Paul from ever publishing the novel? What keeps Billy stuck in the Navy? They don't want to take any risk. You know, we're in the middle of three weeks of 120 people going to Guatemala, 55,000 dollars of houses being built and all the rest. Twelve years ago, our church had never been on a missions trip. And I just felt heavy about that. We're in a church that's called a Christian Missionary Alliance Church, and none of us had ever done anything missional. And so I felt like God was saying, you got to do something missional. So I said, well, let's see if we can find the opposite of men and we found this garbage dump in Guatemala. And so I felt like God said, OK, go talk to, pe- go, go talk to the church and invite them on this mission trip. I cannot tell you how much I didn't want to do that. Not only did I not want to go to a gar- garbage dump in Guatemala, but I was willing to do it. What I didn't want to do was ask you to do it. You know why? Because if I, what, how would I look if I got up here and I preached my heart out and I said, you need to come join me in Guatemala in the garbage dump. What, how would I have looked if none of you signed up? And I almost didn't preach that sermon because I was afraid of how I would look. Do you see what fear can keep you from? A stupid fear like that, like how I would look? And now look what God has done down there. Hundreds of homes, hundreds of thousands of dollars, children blessed all over the place. What is fear keeping you from? What are you so afraid of? Please understand how much that God loves you. So much so that he sent his son for you. And when you get it, perfect love casts out fear. Here's the second thing you need to put in your rearview mirror if you're going to get out of the piano bar, if you're going to start living again. You have to let go of past failures. Listen, the financial industry has it right. Past performance is not indicative of future results. It's not. I know. I knew you might be going. You know, I tried that once, but it didn't work. I called, but he didn't pick up. I wrote, but he didn't reply. So I was telling you last week about my Grammy Eisman. She was a truth teller. She was one of. Remember, I said she. She. When I had my headphones on, I was singing Journey last week, and uh, I overheard her said. I overheard her saying, "Is he serious right now?" Um, you know, that kind of hurt my heart. Here. 40 something, it still hurts that I can't sing. But my, my Grammy taught me one other thing. She would say it all the time, it's kind of a dumb little thing. Um, she would always go, um, I, wanna, I wanna get it right. Um, if at first you don't succeed, who knows it? Try. try, try again. And I just thought this was this hokey line from Grammy. But it turns out, this is all over the scriptures. Your past failures, so you're sitting around going, I can't do it because I tried it, and it didn't work. Proverbs 24:16: "For the righteous fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity." Second Thessalonians three. As for you, brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. And perhaps, honestly, maybe my life verse, it's resonated with me since the first day I read it so many years ago, Philippians 1.6. Here's what I'm sure of. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Do not give up on yourself because it didn't work last time you tried it. When you give up on yourself, when you give up on the God-ordained destiny that he has for you, the plans for good works that he, he created for you, when you give up on yourself, you're not giving up on yourself, you're giving up in Christ in you. You're not giving up on yourself, you're giving up on God. Fear will keep you in the bar singing songs as life whittles by. Focusing on failure will keep you clinging to a tonic and gin. But lastly, if you want to get back to living the life you were meant to live, you have to choose. Here's the third one. This is fascinating. You have to choose your friends wisely, not casually. See, we fall into friendships and relationships all the time. This is what's going on in that bar, right? What we tend to do is surround ourselves with people who think like we think. Well, I like this bar because we're all a bunch of people in here who had promise and dreams and hopes, and we all gave up, and so now we all like each other. The scripture says you need to choose your friends wisely. In life, just like in the piano bar, we're all sharing a drink called loneliness. We feel the separation from God and each other, and we weren't made to drink alone. But that's the problem of the piano bar. We surround ourselves with the wrong kinds of folks, the same kind of folks that were just wasting their lives, giving up on their potential. My kids hate this line. Uh, I've given it to them many times growing up, and whenever I say it, one of them has told me, I hate when you say that, which tells me it probably is reeks of being true. But here's what it is. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. But that's not my line. It's an underlying truth from, 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 from the scripture. Proverbs says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of the fools will suffer harm. Don't keep sitting around the piano bar with the wrong people speaking death into your heart. Proverbs 13, 20, Don't be deceived. In other words, don't be, people are going to lie to you. Don't believe the lie. Here's the deal. Bad company ruins good morals. This is why this time is so important. This is why you have to get here. I'm not going to be some guy up here telling you you've got to come to church or you're going to go to hell. That's not even true. Anybody that tells you that, that's not telling you the truth. The reason you need to be here is you need somebody to speak truth into your heart. You need to find a community of people that will encourage you to do radical things for God, to walk away from your fears and put trust in him. To not just keep focusing on your past. This is why I want you to get into small groups. This is why you need to get your kids in into Sunday school and, and kids club and youth group. Your friends matter. Their friends matter. Listen, I'm going to make a radical statement here, and I, I beg you to challenge me on it. If you feel like you are stuck in your life right now, and things are just going by, and nothing's going the way you want it to go, and you feel like God had plans for your life, but now you're just kind of stuck in a bar singing a song, here's what I would challenge you, challenge you to do. Change your friends. Go find some new friends. Go find some new friends. I'm not saying hate on your old friends. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying go listen to a different voice. Go find a new community that will speak life into your heart. Ben, come on up. I'm going to close with this email I got while I was in Guatemala. There was a young woman in our church that was here. She's been here, I don't know, a couple of years. And Last year she came up to me she said, uh, she said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She goes, I feel like I'm, I'm in this relationship, but I don't think God wants me to be in it. She said, "So, you know, I, I, I'm thinking I should get out of it. And I said, well, do you think God wants you to be in it? She said, no. And I said, well, you should probably get out of it. And so, uh, yeah, sound advice, right? <laughs> so uh, she came back. She said, yeah, that was really hard, but I feel like this is what God wanted. And so a couple of weeks go by, and now she's kind of fired up about this. And she goes, uh, it's right over here. She goes, John, I asked you another question. She says, I feel like God is telling me to quit my job and go do something else. Because I have this passion that God has called me to with this nonprofit I want to start. And in order to start it, I need to get out of this job and start a different job. And I think I know what that is. So I think I know what, what job God wants me to get. And I think I know what he wants me to do in my life. So I don't know what to do. And I said, well, it sounds like to me you should probably quit your job and go do those other things. Now, here's the problem with being a pastor. I'm starting to understand this more the longer I do this. Some of you people actually listen to the things I say. And so she called me, she emails, she's an emailer, and so she emailed me, she said, so Pastor John, I quit my job this week. I really need to talk to you. And I'm gone. holy smokes, I just destroyed this girl's life, right? And so I said, okay, I'll be here, you know, I'm always here on Sunday. I'll see you on Sunday. And so she came up to me and she goes, I have to tell you, I went in and quit my job. And I said, well, what did you do? She said, well, I went to the guy and I told him, this is not what God has called me to do. I know what God has called me to do. I, I, I don't have any passion for this. I don't want to insult you, but I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And, and I really feel like that God is calling me out of this to go do this. And I said, you know, that sounds kind of tough. Like, you really had to put it like that? And she goes, well, you know, I just wanted to be honest. And I said, well, what did, the, what did your boss say? It's a completely true story. She said, she started crying and then she quit too. I swear she started crying and then she quit too and I'm going holy crud like I'm responsible for the whole takedown of like some (laughs) company and so you know so I'm in Guatemala last week here comes the email from her again and I'm going "Oh, oh no um And she said, I hope you're having the best time ever in Guatemala. I'm so excited to be going for the first time. So I have to talk to you. (laughs) I have a story and I need your input. When I started in this new career, uh, this winter, I was one of maybe 10 new people hired. And at our Christmas party in January, they held a competition to get things going in the office. Whoever bought in the most business and had the most sales from January to the end of June was going to get a $10,000 bonus. When they announced this, I just knew I'm going to (laughs) win, and I made a promise with God that if I did, I would donate all of the money back to serving him. Fast forward to today, faith prevailed, I just wound up winning. I'm using the money to pay for my trip, and my best friend's travel to Guatemala. She's out of work now, but this has been a dream of hers for her life to go on a missions trip. The rest is going to sponsoring two kids and the bulk of it for a concrete home. I didn't, it's amazing, right? This is a true, this is a true story. I didn't want to make a big deal of it. Of course, you send it to me, things happen. But my boss wanted to do a press release, have it distributed to the media. I spoke to the PR guy. He wants to interview you. to get a quote for the press release. I figured it'd be good for Potter's House to be on the walls. Would you be interested? Let me know if you want to chat first, and I'll give you the details. Listen to me. We all need to have a few of those moments where we stop for a moment and sit in the silence and say, man, what am I doing here? You are a few moments away of just having the sheer courage and bravery to break out of that place and go and find and do what you were created to be and have. And it doesn't necessarily mean a career change. It just means figuring out, how you are going to be the light of Christ and love somebody and seek justice, help the poor, and be a messenger of Christ to a a world that desperately, desperately needs you. So Father, speak to our hearts, show us your love, in Jesus' name, amen.